Thank you, Anderson. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. Now, we have some new information for you on the Gabby Petito timeline. There's some bad information in circulation. We have it right, and we'll get it to you. But first, high anxiety in our capital. Will the Democrats hold a vote tomorrow, even if there's a chance they can't get their own members in line to pass their bill? We're going to know in 24 hours. This is the biggest capital cliffhanger of the Biden presidency. So let's go through it. The latest. Speaker Pelosi says tonight she does still plan to hold the vote tomorrow on Biden's massive infrastructure bill. Remember, you got that. And then the spending bill. We're going to talk about both of them. Remember the timing. Pelosi said Monday was the day. Everybody said it's not going to get done Monday. That was true. Then she said, "Okay, Thursday, that's tomorrow. Now she's saying, "Okay, it's tomorrow, but I have the right to move it again. Why? Because she doesn't have the votes. However, I argue to you the timing on this secondary. The main concerns are about the who and the what, okay? The key fight centers around the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, right? That's the one that passed in the Senate in August. But a lot of House members don't like it. Why? A lot of reasons. They believe that it doesn't go far enough on a bunch of things. But the big thing is climate concerns. It's too light. So you have tension that's twofold. The needed climate fixes, according to them, are in the spending bill, as well as what the spending bill is really about, the big ticket items that Biden promised in the Build Back Better bill, right? They're insisting, therefore, that both bills go at the same time, or they won't vote for infrastructure. How real is that? However, it's not their only position. They say, or we want assurances that if infrastructure is passed tomorrow, there will be a framework for a deal in place to complete the trillions in spending. Hmm. So now is the question, who? Who is holding it up? Got to be the progressives, right? They keep saying they won't vote on the bill tomorrow. I argue to you, no. The progressives are actually in line with President Biden. These numbers are his numbers. These wants are his wants. And they're all wildly popular with you on both bills. And another reason, I don't think you can put this on them. They keep asking the moderates in the House and the two key senators, Manchin and Sinema, to negotiate. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Give us a number. Or even if you can't do that, give us assurances that you're with us on the bones so that we can finish a deal in good faith. They have gotten none of those from the senators or in the House, as far as we know, certainly with the senators. So much so that some are now referring to the two senators, Manchin and Cinema, as Manchinema. I say they may soon be known as Manchinema because they are really sticking it to their party. So... What do they want? The why here? As of tonight, Senator Manchin will only say he's negotiating, not changing his mind before tomorrow. But on what basis? He says he can't and won't support spending trillions in spending or in an all or nothing approach that ignores the brutal fiscal reality our nation faces. Okay, but that's like boilerplate. What are the specifics? What is too much? What do you want? He won't give a number. Nothing that he'll agree to. Does that sound right? That led the leader of the House Progressive Caucus to say, no, it isn't right. Congresswoman Jayapal says that Manchin's kind of nebulous negotiating 
is creating more votes against the infrastructure bill. If we do have a vote, then we'll vote it down and we'll continue the negotiations so that we can actually deliver the entirety of the president's agenda. Now, that said, Manchin is like an open book compared to Senator Kristen Sinema. Nobody seems to know what she wants. Manchin is at least laying out on the table what he likes and what he doesn't like. With Sinema, they literally don't know and she won't answer any questions about it. They say we believe she does want the Build Back Better plan to happen this year. And she's gotten tons of attention. She met with Biden yesterday, his aides two other times. White House officials went to her today to negotiate on the Hill. Four times in 48 hours. And yet all they can say is, our sense is she's in favor of the bill at some point. Really? Listen to her dodge questions. What do you say that progressives that are frustrated that they don't know where you are? I'm in the Senate. I'm in the Senate. That's the answer? Since when do Democrats act like that? I thought you guys, you know, were all about transparency and being out there and giving. What do you want, Senator? Kind of weird to duck the question. The Build Back Better Act. Okay, let's remember why this is dicey for her. Okay, expand the child tax credit. Big Arizona. Medicare coverage. Big Arizona. Housing, community college, more affordable. Everywhere. Everywhere. All of these things. They're very popular everywhere, especially in Arizona. The issue is the price tag, $3.5 trillion. Okay, it always is. So Cinema and Manchin say that they won't support the price tag as is. Okay, so give another number. I think there is another question, though, that the senator is going to have to answer at some point. Is this just about the price or who would be paying it? Is Senator Cinema more concerned about her big pharma friends and corporate lobbyists that fill her coffers than her regular constituents? I think that's a real question. Now, the biggest question, of course, is what does this all mean for tomorrow? Let's turn to one of the most outspoken or straight-talking progressives in the fight, Congressman Ro Khanna, Deputy Whip of the House Progressive Caucus. Thank you for agreeing to come back and actually making good on the agreement. Appreciate you. Chris, that was a great opening summary. I, I agree with it. You know, Senator Sinema is being treated like a head of state. I've, I've never requested or met with the president in the Oval Office. I meet with his staff. She meets with him like every other day. And then she has a whole presidential delegation. Ricchetti and Susan Rice all go to her office. And all we want to know is what does she want? I mean, she's a first-term senator, and she hasn't put out a framework yet. All right. See, so and, and that's like really kind of what I want to talk about. But I, I got to cover the bases. What do you think happens tomorrow? I don't think there's a vote. I mean, this is not the progressive caucus whipping. This is organic. People want to make sure that we have an agreement to get people expansion of Medicare, their dental benefits, vision benefits, to make sure people can pay for child care. You know, Connor Lamb, who's been campaigning in western Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. says this is very popular, the president's agenda. It's about making sure folks can go to community college. It's good for seniors. And many House Democrats want to make sure we deliver on that. One step sideways on that, just for a second, to talk politics. Uh, Did Pelosi make a mistake saying... We're doing this on Monday. We're doing this on Thursday. I should, did she not read the room right? No, she had no choice. I mean, because of cinema and some of the folks in the caucus, they were pressuring her to create this artificial deadline. 
And there is no deadline. I mean, Senator Manchin has said, let's continue negotiations in good faith. He wants to see common ground. Fine, let's do that. Why do we have to do this tomorrow? We can get to a good place in two weeks, in three weeks. We can sit down and negotiate. And I don't understand why, why is tomorrow some magical date? It doesn't trigger anything. Mm. Here's what I don't understand. You're intra-party here, okay? This isn't what McConnell, you know, or what Ted Cruz will give you an assurance on where, you know, it's going to be a heavy dose of verify that goes along with a modicum of trust. These are your people. Uh, And why do you think it is that you can't get any read from one of your own in Senator Sinema about what will make this happen? I don't know. I mean, we have 99% consensus in the party. Uh, There's one senator we can't get a read on, and I can't speculate about what her motives is. What I do know is usually when you have the president of the United States ask in your own party for a plan, uh, you oblige. I mean, as a freshman congressman or a freshman senator, you should have some deference to the broader goals of the party and the country. Obviously, everyone represents their state, their constituency as an individual, but politics is a team sport, and it's, it's frustrating, but I have faith that the president, the speaker, majority leader eventually will prevail. Uh, I wouldn't ask you to speculate. Except right now. You have to give me an idea of what you're hearing about what's going on with cinema. Do you believe that there's some teeth to this? She gets a lot of money from Big Pharma. They don't like what you're doing with prescription drugs. She gets a lot of money uh, from big money. They don't like that you want to raise the corporate taxes. So she doesn't like the funding mechanisms. Therefore, she can't go for the bill. Chris, as tough as I've been on Senator Cinema, I never question a person's integrity without actual uh, facts and evidence, I'll say two things. One, I don't know why she's doing these fundraisers in the midst of the negotiation. From an optics perspective, at a time where there's such cynicism, it's a terrible look. Second, if she has philosophical disagreements, maybe she actually believes the pharmaceutical arguments, at least put it forward, put, put a plan forward. So far, what we're hearing is she doesn't want to raise any taxes on Amazon or big corporations, even though they're not paying tax. She doesn't want to raise taxes on people in my district who are worth $40, $50 million. She, so she doesn't want to negotiate with Medicare. So what is her plan for revenue? Because the, she says she's for climate change provisions. What does she want? How is she going to raise it? And then we can have a conversation. There's nothing there. So now, what does this delay this optic of disunity do on the right because there is a move there to blow up the bipartisan agreement that they have on that side and my understanding tell me if yours matches it is look they're weak let's not give them the infrastructure bill i know some of you guys like it but it's better for us if they get nothing pull back your support do you believe that this process might be increasing the chance that you lose the senate bill I think it makes it harder to get bipartisan support in the House. I was talking to a Republican friend of mine. I don't want to mention his name. He said initially there were about 50 Republicans who were willing to vote for the infrastructure bill, and that has fallen to four or five. So it it is hurting because you've got McCarthy uh, whipping against any Republican voting on this, uh, and that's unfortunate. But all of this can be solved in 24 hours if we just come to a general agreement on the principles of the president's plan to help seniors, to help working class Americans to deal with climate change. And it's not going to be what Ro Khanna wants, and it's not going to be what Pramila Jayapal wants, and it's not going to be what the Progressive Caucus wants. It's going to be what President Biden wants, uh, and that seems to me eminently fair. Still unfair 
to put this on Biden and say so much for him being uh, the great lawmaker that everybody wants to do deals with who knows how to deal with Congress people in his own party? Look, the president is trying to do something remarkable. He's trying to have transformative legislation for the working class and middle class, something that has been ignored for probably 30 years with the slimmest of majorities. You know, when FDR did it, he had huge majorities. When LBJ did it, he had huge majorities. Even Obama had huge majorities. So I give the president a lot of credit. And he's at the one yard line. And there's this one senator from Arizona who's who's stopping us from really making a difference. And that's why I'm I'm mad. It's not personal. It's we can finally do something in this country for people who don't have childcare, for people who can't afford college, for seniors who can't get go to a dentist. We can finally do something. This is why we run for Congress. This is why we come here. And we're one senator away, literally, from doing that. And that's why I hope we'll be able to get this done. Well, remember, you know, you don't need me to tell you this, but this is the state of play in the country right now. If you guys don't get this done, With the numbers that you have and the buy-in from the American people, you're going to have problems in the midterms. You know that. Congressman Ro Khanna, we're watching it every step of the way. You will keep having this platform to let us know what's happening and why. Good luck doing the work of the people. Thank you, Chris. All right. Another developing story. Uh, We have to now really focus on Gabby Petito's fiance because it's all about figuring out who killed her. And he has to have valuable information. He spent the most time with her in and around when she died. Okay? Now, what do we know about him? He's disappeared. When? He came home without her. He then went camping with his family. Now, let's stop for a second. Did he tell them what happened? Does he know what happened and told them what happened and they still went camping? That really says something on a moral level, if, if that's true. But what about the legalities here, and what about the fact analysis here? All right, there's been talk about the phone. He didn't have a phone, he left his phone. No, he bought a phone right before he left. What's the truth? And the truth matters on this point, and I have it. Next. Facts matter in everything, but, you know, in a criminal investigation, when you're trying to figure out what happened and you're looking at circumstantial evidence and you're trying to figure out the right questions and what, you know, reasonable doubt looks like, it really matters. And we're getting a clearer picture of Brian Laundrie's movements in the days after he returned without his fiancée, Gabby Petito, up until the time he went missing. Now, remember, why does this matter? Why should there be any sensation of damning of him at all when we don't really know? Because I have been doing this over 20 years and I have never had a case where somebody's loved one goes missing and they refuse to assist in the search. There is something off about that that needs to be explained. If you heard that Brian bought a new phone after his return, you're right. But when did he buy it? matters, okay? And it is floating around out there that he bought it right before he disappeared. And maybe his mom bought it for him right before he disappeared. So maybe they helped him disappear. No. Here's what we hear from the Laundry family attorney, and we have not heard anything from the FBI uh, to contradict it, okay? September 4. Three days after Brian comes home, comes home on the 1st without Gabby, 
two, three, four. That's when he buys the phone. It's a new phone, and it is the phone that the family says he left behind along with his wallet at their house when he vanished September 14. Okay? So, that matters materially. Or this isn't just a little detail. Why? Well, because if he got the phone on the 14th, I already spelled out for you how that smells bad, right? If he got it on the 4th, well, now it doesn't really seem like it was front-loaded to help with a move. The FBI has possession of that phone, and I'll tell you another reason that the date matters. Because if he got a phone on the 14th, left it at home, and then left, what does the FBI do with that phone? Nothing, right? Because who, who did he use it with? But if he got it on the 4th, which he did, now they've had two weeks of use with that phone. And the FBI may be able to access numbers and other information that could be helpful to them those two weeks. Okay? Now, however, we still don't know where he is. Where does that leave the search and the answers? Because for him to be gone weeks is not easy. Remember, this is a guy who, when nobody had any reason to be looking for him, he was spotted all over the place with Gabby and without, but nothing since. Perfect guest, Bobby Chacon, a retired FBI agent, attorney, forensic investigator. You couldn't check any more boxes that we need here. It's good to see you again, Bobby. Um, first of all, thanks, Chris. Uh, the, spec- the, uh, the analysis there of why the date matters beyond accuracy, do you agree? I absolutely agree. I think it could be very much the case where the lawyer that they had hired initially told him that the phone that he had while he was traveling with Gabby, the one we saw on that Utah, the Moab uh, police uh, body cam, that was, they told, the the lawyer probably told him that phone is going to be taken by you. If you want a new phone, and we all need phones, right? We can't live without our phones. He probably went out and got a new phone because he knew the one that he was traveling with when he was in Wyoming and Utah was going to be taken from him. Mm. You know, he said to the cops in Utah, I don't have a phone. I don't know if you remember that uh, on the video. Who knows uh, what's true, what isn't. But he gets it on the 4th. He disappears on the 14th. That's 10 days of data that they have on that phone. Uh, Valuable why? Well, look, I have MapQuest on my phone. I have some other mapping, uh, Google Maps and things. If I'm going to take a trip, oftentimes I go to see how long it's going to take me and what route it's going to send me on, and I can choose what route I want to take. If he was doing any kind of research on that phone as far as where he was going to go, routing and times and places are going to be in those mapping applications. Mm. And also, it wasn't a burner phone. Uh, They say out there it's a burner phone. And and as we know, those are very limited devices. This was a real uh, phone, smartphone. Now, how does he avoid any detection for two weeks? People saw him all over the place. Everybody's looking for him. His picture's everywhere. He's got the best in the business trying to find him. Well, he had a huge head start, and that's the number one thing. I mean, he he had a number of days to plan his kind of getaway um, before anybody knew what was happening, right? Gabby's body wasn't found yet. There was no charges lodged against him. He had probably some serious conversations with his his criminal lawyer and his parents about what to do about the situation. And, And so he had that head start. So when he decided to actually take action on whatever plan they had come up with, 
that was it. He had he had the mean, he probably put the means into place if 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 he got enough cash. If you know, I would be looking to see if his parents liquidated any assets those first two weeks in September to pro provide him with cash. So he probably had a plan put in place when he was ready to execute that plan. That was what was going to happen. He was going to go under the radar. Mm. It was a big move, though, if that's what it was. And he didn't just go what the parents say, which is he didn't come back. He was going hiking and he's in there in alligator land because the best thing investigators have going for them right now, other than um, Gabby Petito being killed and it being a homicide and their understanding of what the cause of death was, is this knowledge of guilt of running. So running created a lot of what they're going to use to build a case. So we'll see how it turns out. Sure. B Bobby Chacon, I appreciate you very much. I hope to speak to you again and soon because I hope we have more information to go on. Be well. All right, let's turn to a big decision in what is really a human rights battle for one of the world's biggest stars. Free Britney, to me, has never been a celebrity story. All right, we don't cover entertainment on this show. Um, it's about why somebody's rights were treated so perversely. A conservatorship is a very specific device for very specific things. And it never seemed right here. Now, today, big development. The father suspended as conservator. Why only suspended? He says he wants out. Why only suspended? Does this give her the freedom that so many fans and legal watchers have wanted? Her former attorney takes us through the ruling and where it stands now. Next. Now, these are not people who are like lead legal advocates, all right? Britney Spears has a huge fan base, the Britney Army, right? Hashtag free Britney uh, is a big part of the energy around this situation. But for us, and, and really I, I would suggest for you, it should be about the law and equity here and what's fair. Because somebody who's young really just had their life taken from them, their money taken from them, for a long time. And if it could happen to a famous person, could happen to any of us, right? So today, big day, a Los Angeles judge suspended Jamie Spears, that's Britney's father, as conservative of her estimated $60 million estate. I can't believe it's not more than that, by the way. All the success, all the touring, all the Vegas, all the years. 13 years the pop star has lived under the arrangement. But we've only learned in recent months the extent to which her father controlled every aspect of her life which she's described to the court as effing cruelty. The legal battle, however, isn't over yet. Why? Well, because her court-appointed conservator is still in place. The conservatorship, the device, the vehicle is still there. There's a temporary replacement. And new accusations that her father placed secret recording devices in his daughter's bedroom. Let's bring in Adam Streisand. Now, he was Britney Spears' former attorney. It's good to have you, sir. Good to be back. What's your reaction today? Well, let's start with what the judge said, which is that the current situation is untenable. Well, what's sad and ironic is that Brittany had the foresight uh, and the capacity to understand that that situation would be untenable 13 years ago when she asked me to go to court and argue, don't put my father in control of me, uh, if anything, put in a, a private professional. But what Brittany and I didn't know at the time when I walked into court is that the court had already put her under a conservatorship without any notice to her. 
So she had no legal right to engage any lawyer of her own choosing and got a lawyer appointed by the court she didn't choose, who never advocated for her, instead kept saying, yes, Your Honor, Jamie is doing a wonderful job. And for that, yes, he, he earned nearly $3 million. Why Jamie, while well, Jamie was earning $1 million and saying, well, Mr. Ingham, her court-appointed lawyer, is doing a wonderful job for Brittany. Mm. And that's the diversity here. Why didn't the judge just remove him and remove the whole thing? Well, the judge could have done that. What was really interesting is you had Jamie's lawyers arguing, Your Honor, terminate the conservatorship right now. Uh, which is very unusual, right? Very strange that all of a sudden Jamie is saying, well, now I've heard Brittany and she says she doesn't want this. And so let's terminate the conservatorship and let's do it right now. And we had uh, Brittany's lawyer saying, no, Your Honor, don't terminate the conservatorship yet. Uh, just suspend him and let us pursue our investigation. Ah, of well, OK, that's I, that's the key point. You know what? Thank you. You just reminded me. Uh, that's why I want to play some of the documentary, because they don't want him to just walk away. Uh, they want right. uh, a pound of flesh for what was done to her. Uh, let's play some sounds. It really reminded me of somebody that was in prison. And security was put in a position to be the prison guards, essentially. Their reason for the monitoring was, you know, looking for bad influence, looking for potential, you know, illegal activity that might happen. But they would also monitor conversations with her friends, um, with her mom, with her lawyer, Sam Ingham. Her own phone and her own private conversations were used so often to control her. I know for a fact that Jamie would confront Brittany and say, hey, why did you text this person? If true, trouble. But I got to read a couple of full screens on this. Uh, Jamie Spears' attorney uh, on this uh, report. All of his actions were well within the parameters of the authority conferred upon him by the court. His actions were done with the knowledge and consent of Brittany, her court-appointed attorney, and or the court. Jamie's record as conservator and the court's approval of his actions speak for themselves. The security firm hired by Jamie Spears uh, on on this report. Uh, Mr. Yemeni and uh, Black Box have always conducted themselves within professional, ethical, and legal bounds, and they are particularly proud of their work in keeping Ms. Spears safe for many years. All right, let's leave the security firm to the side. Uh, Jamie Spears saying, hey, I have to be clean here, Streisand, because the court appointed attorney uh, and or the court and Brittany all say I did well. Well, let me just say one thing. I don't believe for a second that the court knew this was going on. The conservator actually has very limited powers. But what was happening here is that the conservator, with the sort of wink and nod of, of her court-appointed lawyer, were, were abusing those powers, manipulating her to believe that they had far greater powers than they really did. There's no way. You can't ha- put somebody on house arrest. You can't spy on them. And there's no way a court would, would agree to that. So it's interesting. So now the shoe is on the other foot. It's Jamie Spears who wants this to end as quickly as possible, and Brittany and her lawyer who want to keep it going so that they can fully litigate what was done to her. Adam Streisand, to be continued, hopefully with you. Be well. All right. Uh, You know what is a huge influence in this society? Growing? Brand identity on politics. What do corporations endorse and not endorse in society by where they'll put their money and what rules they'll make? 
So an airline just carried out the industry's biggest test of vaccine mandates. The results are dramatic. What will it mean for their business? What will it mean for their rivals? United. What did they see with their ultimatum? We have the CEO of United. Why did they do it? How far are they willing to take it? And why? Next. We are the only developed country in the world who has access to the vaccine and is intentionally refusing to take it to the degree that we are. Think about that. And here's what we know. Most of you are in favor of vaccine mandates at work. Even setting the politics of COVID aside, we've seen that for other diseases. They just work. But United Airlines is now case in point that it's even more true when it comes to this pandemic. They're looking at a 99% vaccination rate among employees. Why did they do it? Is it a win? What does it mean going forward? Scott Kirby, CEO of United. It's good to have you, sir. Now, this was controversial because we're hearing about staffing shortages all over in all these different industries, even in healthcare, entire states, because people don't like the mandate. You decided to do it anyway. Why? Well, we decided at United to do it because it was the right thing for safety. I've written, written letters to the families of every employee that's lost their life to COVID during from the time that this crisis began. And once the Delta variant picked up and started having to write letters again, you know, I spent time and just realized I can do something to put it into this. It's tragic. It's so unnecessary because you said these vaccines work. Um, and so we made the decision to do it because it was just the right thing to do. Uh, instead of worrying about the complications, we decided we're going to do this. And once we'd made that decision, then the team figured out how to make it work and how to make it effective and how to get us to 99%. But it was really about just doing the right thing to save lives. And that's the number one priority. 99% is great. However, if 99% becomes a coefficient of losing a lot of staff, then that's bad for business. You say it's a win, but you got 500 employees who are going to have to go, 2,000 going on unpaid leave. Um, Why is that acceptable as a win? Well, again, it comes down to the trade-off of saving lives. So no matter how big those numbers were, saving lives would have been worth it. But those numbers, you know, at less than 1% of our workforce that are going to leave, and I wish it had been 0%, but at less than 1%, you know, is still a very small number, very manageable in our ability to hire. And ironically, you know, we actually now have hundreds of employees or uh, potential employees showing up to job fairs. And it's not, it wasn't intentional, but it's become a recruiting advantage where we have people showing up and saying, I want to work for a company that puts employee safety first, that stands for something, that stands for doing the right thing. Uh, and it's it's actually made recruiting easier at United Airlines. Now, so we have not heard that. We've only heard the opposite, that these mandates are making people sweat workforce because they're choosing this perverse sense of personal freedom and they're not going to do it. You're saying that you have seen a recruiting bump after this policy. Yeah, we have. And and I understand the concern that other businesses have. We had the same issue. You know, we had over, you know, less than 70% of our workforce vaccinated when we put the requirement in just seven short weeks ago. And we're now at 99%. I think this is the point. You know, if you put, you said it earlier, vaccine mandates work. If you put the mandate in, if you're not wishy-washy, if you say, here's the date and you stick to it, the vast majority of people go out and get the vaccine. And then we can just all move forward and put COVID in the rearview mirror. Now, you can, except we're leaving out a big piece, right? 
Have you considered mandates for people who are going to fly on United? You know, we really think, I think, that that is, if it ever is going to happen, and it already has happened for international travel, by the way, but for domestic travel, I think that really is in the purview of the government. They've got a lot more data, science, experts, and really this is about getting the whole population vaccinated. And if every company will go out and do the same kind of requirements that United has done and get to 99% of their workforce, look, we're going to be there. Uh, instead of creating friction every time you get on a subway or an airplane. And, and I think this is what the administration has said. The much more efficient way is to do it through employer mandates. And that's why the government is coming out with rules to require it ac- across the economy. And, and I hope those rules are strict and go into place and don't have a lot of wiggle room and outs. Uh, because if we do that, that really will just get us over the hump, get us well past herd immunity. Uh, and people won't be dying over this anymore. You're having too many brawls over masks, let alone vaccine mandates among the passengers. I understand the concern there. Scott Kirby, uh, CEO of United Airlines, thank you very much for talking about this, but Thanks, also Chris. helping us understand the implications. Good luck going forward. Thank you. All right. Now, remember which business led the way with its COVID response early on? The NBA. So why does it suddenly find itself so divided over vaccines? Star players, we seem to see an increase in them wanting to be involved in our social dialogue, but not on vaccines. Mixed messaging. So is the league. Let's bring in the man, Bob Costas, to help us understand how the sport that came up with the bubble is now getting blindsided. Next. So today, a guy from the right wing camp that brought us shut up and dribble decided he's going to support black athletes. Well, those who have expressed skepticism of the covid vaccine or haven't gotten the shot. Senator Ted Cruz tweeted, I stand with Kyrie Irving, Andrew Wiggins, Bradley Beal, Jonathan Isaac, hashtag NBA, your body, your choice. He's vaccinated, by the way. Cruz, just so you know. The senator's comments come in the wake of LeBron James confirming he received the COVID vaccine despite being initially skeptical. Important comments from a key player while the NBA and other leagues grapple with vaccine hesitancy among athletes and what to do about it. ESPN says about 90 percent of NBA players are vaccinated. What could the 10 percent of holdouts mean for the upcoming season? Let's bring in the best. Bob Costas. Good to see you, brother. Hey, Chris. By the way, when Senator Cruz says hats off, I stand with. That's further proof that when the crowd that says stick to sports makes that statement, all it's ever meant is stick to sports when you're saying something I don't want to hear or I don't agree with. But if you're saying something I agree with, the microphone is yours, the platform is yours. You can be a regular on Fox News if you're saying what we want to hear. Exactly. So LeBron James, big voice, big Mm -hmm. presence, says, I was skeptical. But I did the research. I asked the right people. It's the right choice for me and for my family. So I did it. But I'm not going to use my platform to tell other people to do with their body. What do you think? It's good that he got vaccinated. He's had, I think, some missteps. But by and large, I think he's an admirable person, both personally and in his public intentions. But he could do so much more good in this case than just a perfunctory, I'm vaccinated, and it's not my place to tell anybody else anything. If he did the research, 
then that research also includes that virtually everybody who is hospitalized, seriously ill, and virtually everybody who dies is among the unvaccinated at this point. And even though you can get COVID if you're vaccinated, it mitigates the possibility of that happening. It mitigates the possibility of passing it on. And it mitigates the possibility that you'll become seriously ill. All those things are beyond dispute unless you're in the dark uh, recesses of the Internet or someplace else other than CNN and a few other places on the, ca- on the cable dial. So that's, that's the, it's, it's beyond dispute if we're dealing in objective fact. And if somebody is influential and popular as LeBron James and other NBA players and athletes in other sports would come out and make PSAs and state not just I've been vaccinated, but hey, do this. It's the right thing to do. It could have a practical effect, a positive practical effect. Yeah, they mean a lot. Uh, in our culture. And they've spoken about things that are every bit as controversial or more so than this. So what do you think it is about this? It may be that some people, and I'm only speculating here, some people in LeBron's circle may have their own doubts about it. So perhaps he doesn't want to alienate uh, some of those people. I don't know, including the 10% of NBA players who are not vaccinated. Now, it's worth saying that 90% not only exceeds the general population, it's well past the point where President Biden and everybody else, the CDC, would be thrilled. We'd have herd immunity at that point. So 90 percent is a good number. The NFL is at roughly 93 percent. But you still have situations where even if someone doesn't become seriously ill, if they're a close contact, the protocols at presence are you have to be quarantined. You go on a short injured list. Some of these teams can't practice at full strength. And in the case of New York, And San Francisco, there are city ordinances that say that you cannot play in an indoor situation, not outdoor, but indoor, like basketball. If you're not vaccinated. You cannot play if you're not vaccinated. That means Kyrie Irving. That means Wiggins of the Golden State Warriors. So that puts them at a competitive disadvantage. Should the NBA say uh, you get vaccinated or you don't play? Well, Michelle Roberts, who's the head of uh, the NBA Players Association, and Demora Smith uh, had both of them on my HBO show last week. Uh, He heads the NFL Players Association. They both strongly advocate vaccines, but they say it's their duty until something is collectively bargained to protect the rights of those who, for whatever misguided reasons, decide not to be vaccinated. But then when I asked, what if in a new collective bargaining agreement or in an effort to open the present one, uh, they cite, the league cited extenuating circumstances. This is, in effect, uh, something like a force majeure clause that we're putting in here, unexpected calamity, and everybody should be vaccinated. They both expressed a willingness to consider that. They didn't reject it out of All the employees have to be. All the employees are different, but if you right. work with the players, you have to be, but the right. players don't. All That's the referees, all the coaches, Odd. the therapists, everything. So while I have you, yeah. I have to ask you something. Okay. Yes or no? Yes. Eli and <laughs> yes. Eli and Peyton, the biggest gift to football watchers since John Madden as a color personality. Yeah, Tony Romo made a ripple recently. Chris Collinsworth is excellent, but it's different. It's sustained excellence over a period of time. It wasn't a big splash like Tony, like John Madden, and now this. 
And as the technology evolves, I think what's going to happen in sports is you're going to get more and more alternatives. There are already uh, little niches where if you want to watch a game and, in effect, be your own director, you want to watch it only from the end zone, you want to watch it only from a high camera, you want the audio or you don't want the audio, I think it's only a matter of time in a situation like a World Series where fans always say, I want my local announcer, Right. where the network will say, okay, we paid all this money for the rights. As long as you carry our commercials and we can include your rating with our rating. It can be whoever you want. Yeah, you can can watch and listen to any whoever you want. And this is really an alternative. But it may be, even though this is a a business of imitation, as you know, and there will be imitators, there's only one Peyton Manning and only one combination of Manning brothers. I know. And the the brothers vibe. Oh, it's great. It is. There's some magic there. Now, look, I hate it because it's up against me on Monday and it's killing me. (laughs) But uh, you at the Olympics, uh, you at a lot of things, but the way you bring people into sport, the way John Madden did it, the mm-hmm. way the TNT guys do basketball. Yeah. I think this is the next iteration of that. We'll see, but I just wanted your take because you you're got the best. It. Bob Thank Costas. You. Thank you, Chris. Always, Good to see you. always a plus. Thanks. Thank you for being a gift to the audience. We'll be right back with the handoff. I think that they are going to be. These are interesting conversations we're having because whether or not you're aware of it, this country is in the middle of figuring out its why, who we are, what we're about, and what it'll mean for all of us going forward. So let's keep the conversation going. Thanks for watching me. It's now time for the big show. Don Lemon tonight, and it's big star D. Lemon. Uh, so much on the line in Washington. I mean, everything from if, if, the, if we're going to default on our debts, meaning America, if America's going to default, if we we're going to get an infrastructure bill. And when it comes to vaccinations, I'm interested in what you're thinking about the NBA players and them losing money. You know, when you, you know, when you, uh, millions and millions of dollars from, from not being vaccinated. Uh, well, look, the, the league has to make that move. I think they're afraid of their players and they have the collective bargaining agreements to think about. They've already done it with their employees. So you already have a logical inconsistency. So if you work with the players, you have to be vaccinated. But if you're the players, you don't have to be vaccinated. Uh, that is about worrying about your contracts, but also um, the contentment of your fans by alienating the talent. Uh, look, I think that mandates work. And I think it's yeah. very sad that we need them. Uh, Because we shouldn't have had to have them. Now, what is the cultural value of a LeBron James? To me, personally, I know him. I interviewed him right before his first game. Uh, My kid loves him. I don't care what he thinks about most things other than sports. That's me. This society does. And if he wants to talk about Black Lives Matter and talk about very intricate racial and political things, and I'm not saying he shouldn't, this should be a layup. Yeah. Pun intended. Yeah. And the reason that it isn't, I think he has to answer for. Yeah. Listen, you know, of course, people have their right and it's their choice and all of that. OK, fine. But these are unusual circumstances and these are unusual times. And you're right. If you're going to speak up, um, people are going to say, well, you can't pick and choose what you can speak up about. Well, yes, you can. You can. Is it inconsistent? Absolutely. It is inconsistent. Now, for LeBron, LeBron has said that he's done his research and he is fully vaccinated, so good for him. I love this answer. Yeah. So Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's been on my show I love last him. night and the night before, I agree with him. If you don't want to get vaccinated, fire him. Fire but the, them. the league has to make that move, though. The, the, fire them. If you don't get vaccinated here, what happens? You can't well, you come got here. the collective bargaining agreement. I know. So you got to think about the law on it. And look, they are only these guys. And you don't know that if you go strong on the 10%, you don't have a few big shots say, well, I'm not playing either then. 
I don't need the money. Okay, I'll fine. sit out. You don't do that to us. Yeah, fine. You got to well, be careful because the fans want the players. Well, the, the, they don't want to see the league win. Well, look, the game is still going to be played. There's still going to be good players out there. And you will, you'll set an example. You'll set a marker, and then maybe people will start. As you said, mandates work. If people start losing millions of dollars, Mandates me, work when people need it. the money. Yeah. If the guy is worth as much as a small country, you got a high and he decides he doesn't like what you're you doing. you got a high burn rate, you're going to be, I better go back and get that money. i got mouths to feed and bills to pay. Look, I'm not making light of it. I don't want anybody to get fired, but you got to do what you have to do. Again, I, you know, I, people will say, oh, I have my choice, I have this. People are dying. Right. You have, it's, and it's only, what, it's 90% of the, the NBA that's Yes, vaccinated. it's a high rate. Okay, so fine. So stop thinking about yourself because then you're putting those 90% people in jeopardy. You're putting the kids of those 90% in jeopardy. You're putting the, the loved ones, the wives, the girlfriends, the grandmothers, the people who are living with them. You're putting all of those people in jeopardy because of some misguided knowledge or misinformation, quite honestly, that you have about a vaccine or some misinformation that you have about the history of African-Americans in this country for the black players, about African-Americans and what happened with the Tuskegee Project. Again, in the Tuskegee Project, they were not injecting African-Americans with harmful substances. They were not, they were giving them placebos, which did nothing for them, which didn't help the syphilis. And they were giving other people with syphilis Actual vaccination, penicillin and other things to cure them. And that's what the issue is. It's a complete reverse and opposite of what was happening with the Tuskegee Project. So this is something that's good. Vaccines have been mandated. Polio. Everyone says, well, you know, I saw uh, I forget what's her name on the um, Jenner uh, on um, Caitlin Jenner, Caitlin on The View the other day saying, well, you know, I agree that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's my body, my choice, and then my, you know, somebody with the polio. That was mandated for certain groups of people. My it body, my choice, as long as it's not women and reproductive rights. Look, there you go. it is all symptomatic of us going out of our way to make our own problems. Uh, the United Airlines story uh, is a ray of light that them doing the right thing is actually increasing their recruiting to yeah. replace the workers who don't want to do it. But you look what's happening in Washington. You know, you have the Democrats. They're making their own problems. Uh, we're going out of our way to do it in this society well, right not, now. Well, it's not necessarily, well, Democrats, yes. But you also have two Republicans in the Democratic Party who are making problems for the Democrats, and that's Manchin and Cinema. That's I mean, your opinion. No, that they, they re, I mean, they are Republicans. Come on. No, that's your yeah. opinion. They're both Democrats. That's not an opinion. You just look at the they way they They are vote. both Democrats. Yeah. There's a D after their name. That's the fact. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's no, I don't let it get in the way of your opinion. No, 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 no. No, I don't want you to be burdened by that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't even have brought it up. Uh, I, I see them as Republicans. So maybe, right. maybe you're right. I see them as Republicans. They're acting okay. as Republicans. All right. Um, all right. But listen. And I see you as cheap. But I love you, D. Lemon. Make your witness. There's a lot of big Thank news. You, sir. You're the best. I'll see you soon. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season... 
we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.